So we're in the season of um, almost finishing this year, going into a new year. And a lot of times what's on our mind are our New Year's resolution, what kind of goals and visions we're, we're going to make. And I had all that planned out. I wanted to talk about leadership. I wanted to talk about management. I wanted to talk about all the things that we could get excited about going into the New Year's. And I would work on those messages and work on those messages. And it just seemed like God would not allow me to speak on them. And so it became a little hard because I was like, Lord, this is what I want to speak on. And I had to yield to obedience. And with that, I want to share a little story with you that actually happened. My oldest daughter bought my youngest daughter an aquarium for Christmas. And she bought a, a small 5.5-gallon five, 5 aquarium with two fish. And as I was studying for the lesson, I was looking at the aquarium. And I looked, and I, and I looked at the aquarium, and it, it had the little filter going, so the waves was peaceful. The fish was just floating. The water was clear and smooth. And I'm thinking, man, they have not a care in the world. They get to just enjoy and I was, just, I was just looking at him like it was so peaceful. And then I go to put some food in there. And all of a sudden, they're fighting. And it made me think about so many different things of how we are, we're a church and we're a body and we're full of peace. But it, at the change of one element, all of a sudden... We create chaos. And so I, I, I look and I'm like, man, they really don't have any, two fishes. What do they have to worry about? There's no competition because there's no third party to judge. What are they going to say? I'm more beautiful. No, you're more beautiful. I know I'm more beautiful. There's nobody to decide it. So I look at that and then I think about marriage. I think about how when we planning for this beautiful day, how we think about all the beautiful, all the peace, how smooth the waters are. And then I ask myself, because as a counselor, as a coach, I talk to many people that struggle in marriage, struggle in raising children, struggle on their jobs, struggle in the ministry. And like the aquarium that's full of peace, the church is a place that we got to come and have unity, a place, uh, a safe haven, if you will. Even the home is supposed to be a place, a safe haven. And yet, we find that something changed, one element changed in the environment, and it creates chaos. And I say, well, how do two people who are lovey-dovey and they walking down the aisle and they're trying to enjoy each other, all of a sudden hate each other? How is it that all of a sudden they find themselves struggling just to be in the same room? And, and none of us are exempt because some of you guys may say, I'm not married yet. You may be a child, but yet you find yourself with friends 
and chaos. When all of, one day on Tuesday you was playing with little Johnny, by Wednesday you hated little Johnny. So what is it that allows us to move from this, this place of peace into a little bit of chaos? And so today what I'm going to ask you guys to do is to do something different for me and try to do this with all your heart. Don't look at the person to the right or left of you. Don't let your mind travel to work. Don't let your mind travel back home. Don't let your mind travel to anybody else except on yourself. Because oftentimes when we hear a message, we're listening just to hear what we need to hear to tell somebody else what they need to do. You, laugh, you guys are laughing because it's true. So I, today I want you to take it personal. I want you to think about what can I do with this message? How can I change? How can I be effective? And bear with me because it may not seem like all this is making sense, but it's going to make sense. And so I just want to throw out for the sake of, of a filter. Let's Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 24. It says, Wives, submit to your own husband as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and his himself is Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husband. Now, Husband, I don't need y'all saying anything. Wives, remember, think about you. Don't think about your husband, anyone else. Do you succeed at that? Do you struggle with that? The reason I'm asking is this. Because clearly Ephesians is writing to the believers. And clearly, God, God allowed you to marry whoever you was going to marry, and you had a choice in who you was going to marry. And if you struggle with submission, maybe because you had decided to take a route that was different from what you believed in. In other words, it's harder to submit to someone who's not submitting to God. So you find yourself struggling and in a place of wondering, how can God expect any of this? Let me just let you in on a secret. You cannot do any of this in your own talent of your own flesh. The reason, and, and I'm trying not to jump ahead, but the reason why we find ourselves struggling with this is because we think that we have the power to submit to our husband. We think that it's a talent. In other words, we cannot submit to our husband unless we decide to believe God. Because otherwise, why would God make me submit to a man and it's a, it's a fallible world? I'll come back to that. If we can put verses 25 and 30 up. 
It says, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or in such things, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Now, let me ask you something, wives. Is that a little bit easier to submit to? Is, that, is it a little bit easier to submit to a husband that's loving you like Christ loved the church? <laughs> You're my favorite person out there today. <laughs> well, the reason why I'm setting this up is because I want you guys to see something that either could be setting you free or cause you much pain. See, when it comes and it says, wife, submit to your husband, you have a choice of who you submitted to before you got married. If you chose to submit to a husband that is um, not ethical, not one with God, then you're going to struggle with submitting. But if you chose a husband that is willing to seek God, to chase God, then you'll find yourself in a place where it's easier to submit. I'm going to let y'all in on a personal secret. My wife can make me the maddest out of anybody in this world. <laughs> the reason why is because I'm going to love her like nobody else in this world. And because of my love for her, it causes me to get very angry. But here's the significance. When my wife goes and pray and fast, when she comes out of her prayer closet, I find myself easier to receive what she's saying to me. Prior to her going into that, it's very difficult. The reason is because when she comes out of her prayer closet, I know that she's under the authority and submission of God, which also makes it easier for me. So my job today and what I plan on doing is I'm trying to get everybody to let their guards down, let all the defense mechanism down, and just receive what is being said today. And with that, it's, it's important to understand that if you could put that last part on back up. For no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. See, what I understand about this is it's impossible. It's impossible. If you love your wife or your husband the way you love yourself, when you're thinking about yourself, you will find that it's very, it's very easy to see past certain things that you don't like. How often do we look at other people's mistakes and judge it harshly, and, let, and we make that same mistake, and we don't judge it the same. How often do we become critical of what we see from everyone else, and when we look in the mirror, we give grace? If you look at this portion of Scripture, 
and you wrestle with submission, or you wrestle as a husband with husband loves your wife as Christ loved the church, then you'll find that you're most likely trying to do this in your own efforts, from your own mind, and your own skills. But I want to turn to you, and I want to read something to make it a little bit easier. I want you to understand this, this scripture. It says, in Matthew twenty-two thirty-six 36, and 40, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in law? And Jesus replied to him, You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then he said, This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. You should love your neighbors as yourself. This is unselfishly seek the best or high good of others. The whole law, the writings of the prophet, depends on these two commandments. And so my question was, I said, God, the greatest commandment is to love that God with all our heart, mind, and soul. I said, Lord, I was under, that's selfish. Why? That feels so selfish. You telling us just to love you. Why? Why would you put that? Because you don't want us to be selfish, but yet you're telling us to love you with all our heart. And I prayed and I wrestled with it. And as I continue to wrestle with it, I felt like the Lord spoke to my heart and said, the reason why I tell you to love me with all your heart, I'm not being selfish. It's because the greatest gift that I can give you is myself. In other words, the scripture in John talks about God is love. My title today is Choose Love. And as we look at this greatest commandment and we wonder why God will charge us with loving him and then coming behind it and saying, love your neighbor as yourself. The significance is God already knew that we could not do any of the rest unless we love him first. Let me, let me help you understand something. Loving God releases us, us from our own selfish thoughts of just loving ourselves. As long as we focus on trying to love ourselves and get what we want, we can never live up to all the things that God has put in front of us. And as we continue to see this, you will see it drawn out in choosing love where Jesus himself was not concerned with his own life, but yet chooses to love us despite. In other words, if we can't love God with all our heart, everything else in the Bible becomes impossible. It becomes impossible because we will try to do it in our own strength. Now, let's talk about love for a second so I can make this make sense. We know there's three phases of love. But God has charged us to be agape love, a love that that we are charged as believers to feel for one another. God didn't say, I want you to love. God didn't say, 
try to love. God gave us a commandment to love. And oftentimes as a body of church and believers, oftentimes as a husband, as a wife, we think that's an option. So when, when I go back and, and, and read, it says, wives, submit to your husband. You're not, being accounted, you're not being accounted for as a failure to God if your husband doesn't receive your submission. In other words, ladies, you're blessed by submitting to your husband as, as, as unto the Lord. That's what God asked you to do. It's not predicated on if your husband is doing the right thing or wrong thing. It's predicated on your obedience to God. And when the Bible says, husband, love your wife as Christ loved the church, your wife may be hard to love sometime. But your blessings are predicated on your obedience to God, not to your wife. Now, the reason why I'm bringing this up and the reason why I'm saying this is because a lot of times as a church, we look for reasons to give up on people. We look for reasons to, to, to do the exact opposite of what the Bible is asking us. She don't deserve it. He don't deserve it. And we become a hurt people. And this is why all of a sudden chaos come into the aquarium and we wonder what happened to all the peace. And what we, what we need to understand here is this. In loving our wives... And loving our husbands, what you are doing is representing what God has asked you to represent. In other words, Jesus didn't go out into the world and say everything had to be perfect before he chose to love. Jesus didn't wait until it was a sunny day before he decided to love. And when I look at the church, Sometimes the church in general, I'm not talking about rock, I'm talking church all over the world. It's puny. It, it comes off weak because we're so willing to, we, we, we approach it from a place of what we can get instead of what we can give. We're talking about choosing love. And so when you approach it from that, many times when I've prayed over a situation and I come back to God and he shows me, he said, you're trying to receive where you're supposed to be given. Many of us come in there with broken hearts, broken minds. And yes, we do need a word from God. And yes, we do need a healing. But in order for the church to be effective, in order for the church to keep moving forward, in order for the household, for marriages, for husband and wife to be effective, you can't just be in a place where... Every single thing hurts your feelings and make you want to run away and be selfish. And that's what we do as a church sometimes. I speak to people and they tell me, this person hurt my feelings, this person, hurt my... have you prayed for them? No. Then you hadn't loved them. Have you prayed for your wife that you're complaining about? No. Then you hadn't loved them. Have you prayed for your children? Have you pay, prayed for that man? And yet, marriages all over the world, children all over the world are suffering because 
we find it in ourselves that we run out of energy trying to do it our way. And then we're broken and we're sick and tired and we lose hope. And yet, right in the midst of it, Jesus still tells us to choose love. And the Bible is not a Bible that wasn't prepared to deal with all the difficulties that we may face. Do y'all understand? God knew the difficulties we was going to face. And yet he still asked us to love. And so with that, I want to read, I want you to put Ephesians 5 and 1 up. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And two. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragment offering and a sacrifice to God. Now, when Jesus came from heaven, did y'all think that he didn't know the difficulties that was going to take place? Did he not understand what he had to go through? But here's the difference. He premeditated, I'm going to love. I'm going to choose love. And when it says be imitators of Christ, it's saying let us be followers of Christ. That's not a, that's not a choice. God is saying for us to be Christians, we must follow Christ. And following Christ, we can see a few things that he did. Even on a cross, let me show you three ways Christ chose to love. Even while on the cross. On the cross, he said to his father, forgive them for they know not what they do. This is after he was beaten, crucified, and innocent. Oh, why did you make that point, Tino? Because many times as husband, as wife, or in the church, we sit there and say, I didn't do anything wrong. I'm innocent. Why is this happening to me? And yet we see here for Jesus, he was innocent and he chose not to get mad, not to get angry. But Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Sometimes we're going to need that at church. Sometimes we're going to make mistakes in our leadership. Sometimes we're going to make mistakes. It's not because we're trying, to, we're trying to hurt someone's feelings. As we live out the will of God, we need forgiveness too. And I'm saying this because we, so that we don't become a church that gets segmented and broken every time someone makes a mistake. That we don't become a family that's broken because someone made a mistake. Jesus' attitude was forgive them for they know not what they do. And so the next way he demonstrates this, he's on the cross. He said, he said, mother, behold your son and son, behold your mother. While on the cross, he was still loving his mother. He was still thinking about other people. And we often thinking about ourselves. He looks and said, mom, I know this got to be hard for you seeing your son this way. 
But take care of a John. He still is choosing to love. And though he hung on the cross between a murderer and a thief, one of them speaks to him and say, remember me. And Jesus, still on the cross, not thinking about himself, not thinking about his pain, not thinking about his agony, says to them, this day you will be in paradise. And yet, it's hard for us to forgive. We sit here and we just had Christmas and we say Jesus is the reason for the season. And we celebrate all these wonderful things. We feel good. Some people don't even smile until it's holidays. And all of a sudden the holidays here and, we, and we're, we're, we're dancing and we're happy. And yes, I could have talked about New Year's resolution. I could have spoken about a lot of things. But yet, if you go a whole nother year and you're successful at losing that weight, you're successful at hitting those goals, and you don't choose to love, you failed. Because the Bible tells us that our righteousness is like a filthy rag. And so I can go and get all the promotions. I can go and hit every goal that I want. But if I fail to love my God, love my family, love my, love my body of Christ, I'm failing. I'm failing. And I say this to you. The reason why Jesus could do all this because he wasn't focused on what he could get. He was focused on what he could give. If you're in any relationship right now and you focused on what you can get, and I've been guilty of it, every time I've ever gotten mad, it's because I was focused on me. You've been in any relationship where you focus on what you can get, you're going to get let down. Because not everybody is here to serve us. So what are some of the reasons why we don't love? Why is it that we, we all of a sudden withdraw? We stop. One of the first reasons is pain. We get hurt. We're afraid of pain. In fact, what I'm saying is we become a body that if it doesn't feel good, it must not be what we need to do. And so we get hurt, so we don't want to love anymore because the last time we loved, we ended up in pain. Why else do we want to, get, we want to love? Because we get angry and bitter and unforgiveness set on the scene. And so when we're not we're in a place of forgiveness, we find it hard to love. Why is this significant? When they asked Jesus, how many times should you forgive? And he, he said, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Do you think a statement like that was meant for the light and the faint at heart that someone thinking of themselves? 
what he's saying here, forgive, premeditate, forgive them before you even need to forgive them. Because I can tell you, I told you to forgive not seven times, but 70 times, 70, because people will hurt you. People are going to let you down. But he said, forgive 70 times seven. Meaning, don't allow that to control you. Still choose to love. Why don't we love? Because of trust. We've been let down too many times. I don't want to go to that church because they let me down. I don't want to do this because I may get let down. I don't want to step into leadership. I don't want to volunteer because last time I did it, I was let down. And we stop being a people of God that's moving actively to love. Because now we're predicated, our, our movements are all predicated on what people gonna, may do to us. And we know that's wrong because Jesus said, make disciples. You can't make disciples if you're trying to receive something. You can only make disciples if you're trying to give something. Why else don't we love? Envy. We covet somebody else's position. They didn't recognize me. I should have been ahead over that. I should have been over this. When the reality of it is, if one member of the body hurts, the whole body hurts. When we're supposed to be working together, not, not jockeying for a position. Why don't we love? Our ego gets in the way. We're selfish. We want it to be all about us. I can't expect my wife to be free and offer me anything I want if I make everything about me. Let me stop here and say, the way the picture should look is, we got $100 in the account. We, got, we both going to buy a Christmas gift. And I'm saying to myself, you know what? We only got $100. I want to give my wife a nice gift. So, I decide she can have the $100. And I go and I buy her a purse. Little do I know, she's decided as a wife, you know what, I want him to have the $100. So she goes and buy me a coat. When we get home and it's time to get a gift, baby, I got you something. I got you this purse. It was $100. And she looked, uh-oh. And I said, what's wrong? She said, well, I used the card and I got you a coat. Now we're withdrawn in the bank. But the moral of the story is because I was willing to take care of her and make her priority, it's easier for her to want to come and make me priority and get me a coat. Some of us getting this wrong. We're trying to fight for something that's, that you can only get through love. The more you love, the easier it is for you to get and get the things that fulfill you because some other people want to do that for you. They don't want to do that for selfish people. Why else don't we love? Because we're afraid. Rejection won't let, won't let us let our guards down. 
We don't want to be rejected. All these things I just said, Christ had to suffer to continue loving us. Why am I making this so important? Because he said, husband, love your wife as Christ loved the church. It wasn't try to love your wife. He said, husband, love your wife as Christ loved the church. And when you understand that, you come from a place not justifying or trying to find the easy way out. Well, I'm just a human. Now, in case you guys wonder why I read to you, love thy God first. Because the only way I can love, my, love God and love my family and love my church and love people the way is that my focus is on God and not on the action of each person. Because if I focused on that, I wouldn't do anything. I wouldn't pray because I'll be just like Jonah. No, God, you just going to save him if I go down there. I would, I would be just like Jonah. But because I focus, because we should focus on God, we can love our wives a little easier, even if they deserve it or not. We can love our husbands a lot easier, even if they deserve it or not. We can love our children the same way. What that entail does is make us a body of believers that's strong, that can go make disciples, that can go love, loving God with all that we are while making more and better followers of Christ. But some of us say we can't do that because as long as you're in selfish mode, as long as you're in a place where you're not willing to give up who you are for what he wants, then you withhold. This is why he says, he who is willing to find his life for my sake will find life. But he who try to hold on to his life will lose it. And if we want to find life, we got to be willing to let go and let God be the focal point of why we do what we do. So it doesn't matter if today my wife, my daughter, my friends, my church is not loving me. I'm still loved. And I leave you with this. And I feel led to share this. When going to the hospitals and all to visit, to see people who are not feeling well or under weather or they got family members there, a lot of times you get there and you don't really understand the situation. You don't know what to do. So you go in there and, and, and you don't know if they're going to be receptive to you. You don't know if they're going to kick you out of room. You don't know if you just drove up there for no reason. But the significance is out of obedience to God, you go anyway. And so I can't tell you how many times I got to a room where I'm talking with someone and it feels like they want me to leave. Or it feels like they don't really want to share or they don't want to open up. And so I go and I say, Lord, what is it that you want me to do? Because you, you, you brought me to this place. I'm doing the things that you asked me to do. And he said, I want you to love them. 
Choose to love them. And so what I've learned and understood, and I'll leave you with this. If your husband is not worthy, if your wife is falling apart, if your children are not listening, if the church is stumbling, you don't need anyone else's permission to love them. You just get to love them. They don't have to receive it. They don't have to appreciate it. But you have the choice to obey God and love them despite how they may respond. In other words, this will allow us to be a church that can make better followers because it's not predicated on what we receive but what we give. Let me pray. Today, Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this church body. Lord, what I pray in 2020 that we be a body of believers that's strong, resilient, not looking for reasons to quit, not looking for reasons to go the other way or turn to another church or another, another wife or another husband, another family. But we stand strong and know that we can pray to you and stand in your obedient word and know that you will continue to lead us and guide us. And, Father, what I pray is that if anybody like me are guilty of not choosing to love and getting mad, getting bitter, getting their feelings hurt, that you bring healing, Father. That you show them the strength that's inside, that you, we can do all things through Christ that strengthened us. That we'll continue to seek you, Father, before we quit, before we give up. Lord, we, everybody here has a purpose and they're needed. Lord, when we quit, we're robbing somebody of our purpose. So, Father, I ask that you wake up in 2020 everybody's ability to understand and seek their purpose so that we can be a gift of love back to the world. Father, I thank you so much that you didn't give up on us. That when you could have said it's not worth it, you stayed on the cross. When you could have said that they don't appreciate it, you stayed on the cross. Whenever we sit there and laugh and mock you, you stayed on the cross, Father. You chose love. Teach us to be that way in our church, in our families, on our job, in this world, Lord, so that we can be a people influence through love. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.